you know, every practice gets an income statement, a P&L, and they see that net income number. But that net income number is largely a meaningless number in a small business. It certainly does not represent true practice profitability. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back positive leadership listeners. Today, David and I have an amazing guest on, Karen Felsted, who is the founder of Pantherity Veterinary Management Consulting. She is a CPA, MS, DVM, CVPM, and CVA. Thank you, Karen, for coming on the show. David and I are thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to y'all. Karen, we have a tradition on our podcast where we don't like to read stuffy bios. So I would love for you to give us your story, your path traveled to get where you are today. I will. It's a little eclectic, but when I went to college, I I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian in high school. And I went to visit a practice, a guy in our church owned a practice, and they were taking the dew claws off of puppies. And it was terrible because they cried and they bled. And I thought I'd be sick to my stomach. And so I'm like, oh, can't do this. And there's nobody in my family that was in the medical field who said, hey, you'll get over it. So I go to college, not sure what I want to do, decide to try accounting, do a few courses there, decide that's terrible, and then finally get a marketing degree. And I worked in marketing for several years. And then I went and got a master's in accounting of all things after, you know, moving out of it previously. And then I worked in one of, for one of the big eight public accounting firms for about six years, what was at the time a big eight public accounting firm. And then somewhere along the lines just decided, hey, I really do want to be a veterinarian. So went back. I had to go and get a year's worth of a bunch of science courses that I had never taken previously. And then went to Texas A&M, practiced companion animal and emergency medicine for a number of years afterwards. And then I just ended up combining the two and being 
you know, doing consulting work of various kinds. Most of it is financially oriented because I have such a background in it. But I'm a big believer that the most important part about the financial piece is how it ties into operations. And so you need to look at your numbers and say, okay, if I don't like those numbers, what can I do better operationally? And I do a lot of stuff around finances. So I've worked with practices on setting fees. I've worked with practices who are trying to sell. I've worked with buyers, individuals who want to buy practices. I help people understand their profitability, whether they're doing well, doing not. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with my background. Yes, I would say eclectic was a great word for that description. (laughs) It was. (laughs) (laughs) If you could give us and share with us your favorite uh, book or podcast, uh, CE, maybe something that left a lasting impression on you, what would that be? You know, probably the books that have left the most lasting impact on me were The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, written a thousand years ago by Ayn Rand. Just really, really interesting books, great stories, as well as kind of a a life philosophy. And she gets a little extreme for me sometimes, but overall, just really, really have found those to be interesting and impactful. Wow, Atlas Shrugged. That's Yeah, that's that's a minute ago. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Like college English reading. Yeah. It's an old one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's great. So I know you talked about your background, Karen. It's really interesting that you, so you have a accounting and finance, not only, you know, background, but certifications and degrees, and then you're also a veterinarian. What about the blend of the two are you so passionate about? And and maybe talk a little bit more about, I mean, we have so many people on that talk about the passion for veterinary medicine. Do you have a passion for accounting and finance? And if so, (laughs) what, you know, where does that come from and what is it? You know, honestly, I lucked into accounting and finance, right? Because, you know, when I went to college, I didn't, there wasn't anything in particular that I, I was passionate about. You know, I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician, whatever. I did do some accounting classes in undergrad and then got out of that and did a marketing degree and then came back into it in graduate school. So to some extent, I just lucked into it, but I ended up being good at it. I'm not, I don't do taxes. I hate taxes. I'm horrible at taxes. But what I like about the accounting finance side is really more the management accounting side. And it's how do you use numbers to understand your business and to better run your business. And then I think Combining it with being a veterinarian, it's just I have an in-depth knowledge of how veterinary practices are run. And I think, and, and you know, you don't have to be a veterinarian to give good advice to a veterinary practice, but I think it helps because I know how to apply marketing advice or HR, or I know how to interpret the the numbers. And I think people like that and they trust me because I am a veterinarian. I've worked in a practice. I understand how they how they run. So a lot of it was luck in how I got into it, but it's worked out really well. So just a quick follow-up, what's the most misunderstood, misinterpreted financial metric or you know line item that you have to usually do a lot of education on? Probably the bottom line, the whole concept of true practice profitability, because you know every practice gets an income statement, a P&L, and they see that net income number But that net income number is largely a meaningless number in a small business. It certainly does not represent true practice profitability. And so I have to do a lot of education around that. Now, if you're a big company and you're following GAAP accounting, which is generally accepted accounting principles, then your net income does represent real profitability. But small businesses have so many differences 
and how they do things. I mean, and they just tend to be pretty casual in their accounting. And so I have to do a lot of education about that. So Karen, you are so vast in your knowledge. Like we could go from, you know, vet med to numbers to, like you said, all the different things. And so I'm going to focus today talking with you about some efficiency in our veterinary hospitals. You recently wrote an article in Today's Veterinary Business on artificial intelligence in vet med, and it talked about embracing AI in our practices. And I will tell you that our profession is so against and adverse and afraid of technology. I don't see (laughs) how veterinary medicine is going to embrace AI. (laughs) But you wrote the article, so you tell us, can you see our profession embracing AI, even though we're so adverse to technology? Well, you know, it's interesting. That project that I worked on, I wrote the article, but I also did a white paper for a group called SignalPed on how to take AI and integrate it into the practice. Well, I knew almost nothing about, you know, there's a lot of different forms of AI. The work that I did was related to x-rays and using artificial intelligence to interpret x-rays. And I knew nothing about this topic when I first started working on it. It was just fascinating to realize what's available out there and how it can help. And tying that into your question, I think that in a way, this whole radiographic use of AI may be a very good way of getting people to take a small step into using technology, and also getting people to become a little bit more comfortable with AI. Because I really felt like the biggest difficulty with the with the AI was not so much the technology aspect of it, but just the idea that a computer could read an x-ray and read it accurately. But really what makes sense in using something like the Signal Pet technology, and there's at least one other company out there who has something similar, is recognizing that it doesn't replace veterinarians, but it just gives you an additional tool to help interpret radiographs. This piece of technology is very easy to use. I mean, it's maybe an hour for the company to set it up in a practice, and then you take radiographs that are uploaded to the site, the AI software interprets them, the practice gets a report back. I mean, it could not be simpler. And so I think because it really is easy to use, I think that helps practices see that technology can be a really useful thing. And also because it doesn't replace the veterinarian, it is one more tool to use in interpreting radiographs, but still the veterinarian makes the final call about what it is that they're seeing on the images and what do they think is the the best next step for the pet. So maybe just the whole concept that if, if, you know, when we talk about integrating technology into practices, sometimes it seems overwhelming because, you know, you think about when the practice first got a practice management system or when they switched from one practice management system to another. That's a lot of work. You can see why people feel overwhelmed by that and don't necessarily want to do it. But there's a ton of technology out there that's just little bites of technology, if you will, but they can make a huge difference in making things easier in a practice. So I think sometimes working with these little, whatever, small pieces of technology can make things easier. And so for that technology-averse practice, that's just, it's little baby steps that helps them get comfortable with it. 
Yeah, that's baby really steps. I like that. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really good way to frame it. I think talking about it, as you said, in essentially, I mean, these are just really small softwares that you bring on for a very specific purpose. I mean, I've worked with SignalPet and I know that they've iterated on it. I know it's a little bit more advanced, I think now, but essentially from what I remember, and I'm not a vet, but like from what I remember, you send the RAD through their software and it essentially scans the thing really quickly and tells yeah. you, I think there's like 20 or 25 or 72 different points or whatever and yep. it just says whether something's abnormal it doesn't tell you the diagnosis because it can't legally you know do that right right and so the kind of cool thing is that the idea is rather than you as a veterinarian going and pulling it up in the ais system and sitting down and zooming in and looking it up at a book and calling your colleague and even sending it off to the radiologist you get this really quick oh everything's normal and you can kind of say okay everything's normal or oh this area is abnormal we need to zero in on it and if that saves you 17 seconds per x-ray times 30 x-rays in, or, you know, 12 x-rays in a day, you know, it actually adds up, right, in terms of efficiency. It does. Well, and yeah. you know, the thing that I think was most interesting for me when I was working on that project, so I interviewed a number of veterinarians who had integrated the technology into their practice. And one of the things that I heard a couple of times is that the more senior veterinarians in the practice felt like they spent a lot of time looking at radiographs from some of their younger, less experienced colleagues. And they felt that the signal pet technology or AI technology for radiographs was incredibly helpful in helping those younger veterinarians who don't have as much experience reading radiographs get comfortable with their evaluation. And not only did it do that, but it cut down some of the time that the more senior veterinarians we're having to work with them on it. Not that the senior veterinarians don't still talk to the younger veterinarians about this, but it just, it was an educational tool that helped there. And of course, a lot of this conversation that I was having with these practices was still at the height of the pandemic when everybody is swamped. And so anything that saves time in how we work and practices was critical. That makes sense. So Kind of zooming out a little bit, and I and I understand, and I think all of us have to admit that none of us are AI experts, but we're thinking about, I'm thinking about this in a bigger sense. And, you know, there's other, maybe if they're not even AI, but there's tools that automate stuff. Yeah. How would you see automation working in a veterinary practice, Karen? Like, how do you think managers should think about using AI to make the practice more efficient? Like, why should they not be scared of technology, automation, AI, whatever you want to call it, right? To help, you know, increase throughput and help move, you know, grease the wheels and all the things. Yeah, you know, I think some kind of technology is less frightening to people. I think AI is one of the ones that's a little bit more threatening because with AI, you're talking about, at least the way people think about it, they feel like they're being asked to replace a very judgmental, subjective process with a computer. And that's a little scary because, you know, the whole idea that a computer could all of a sudden be a veterinarian, that doesn't sit very well with people. But I don't think AI was ever meant to be that. And so people have to get past that idea. But there's a lot of technology out there that's, I think, less threatening, if you will. I mean, you know, we use computers all the time to type in notes or to count things. or And so if you can take some technology that's maybe a little less threatening to a practice, but can help make things more efficient. Like there's um, a small piece of technology out there. It's called VetSnap, I think, that integrates with your practice management system and does the controlled drug. So it keeps the controlled drug log. It compares what 
the controlled drug log says was used for a particular pet versus what the practice management system says, spits out a list of things that need to be reconciled. It adheres to all of the regulations that, that we have to adhere to for controlled drugs. And, you know, that's a tiny piece of software. Controlled drugs in most practices are not a huge part of their inventory, but they're, it's time consuming, right, because of all the regulations around it. And I think people are more comfortable with that kind of technology than with AI. And so starting, you know, looking at things that take a lot of time in your practice, but you don't really feel like you get a whole bang for your buck for, and then saying, hey, is there a little piece of technology out there that will help me? I mean, I think that's a good way to start integrating things instead of saying, I'm going to buy a new practice management system, which can be overwhelming. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I like your thoughts on that. And don't get me wrong. Some practices need a new practice management system, right? And there's some great systems out there. I mean, so I'm not saying you don't ever do that, but but you don't necessarily have to jump to that every time. You need to understand what it is that's causing you grief in the practice that technology could help with. Yeah, that makes sense. Like use the technology to solve a problem. I hate to yes. say it, but don't just go to the trade show and find the new fancy thing and right. you know realize it takes six weeks to integrate and set up and then you hate the thing. Like, what do you actually have issues with? And then there's that's techn- right. technology out well, there to solve it, right? Agree. Well, and plus, I think the vast majority of practices could do so much more with the technology they already have in place. They're just not. So maybe that's the next step, too, is make sure you're maximizing usage of your current technology before you leap in and buy another one. Yeah, Yeah, there's oftentimes I think we don't utilize even our practice management software, right? But we don't utilize things like something as simple as email Mm -hmm. as much as we possibly can or you know, there's tons of different things in the practice that we just don't grasp onto to say, are we using it as, as to right. its fullest capability before yeah. we outsource to something else? Yeah. That's I right. mean, most practices probably use like, I would say 20% of the entire yeah. things. Yeah. Like yeah. some things can be some really powerful stuff and, and they just, they use it as glorified invoicing, right? Or glorified yeah. just medical right. records. That's right. But, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So then when, when you're talking about a lot of integrating some of this, automated systems or technology into our practices, to me, that that means that we're going to be increasing practice efficiency, especially if we can do it right. You know what I mean? Like there's a wrong way and a right way. We don't have 10 pieces of technology that all do something similar, but we're really utilizing the technology as it's supposed to, as we're supposed to with our, you know, integrating with Sims and client communication and things like that. So if we're really truly utilizing this AI and leveraging it the way that we're supposed to be, and it's increasing our practice efficiency, does that mean we have fewer team members? Does that mean we can operate with less people? I think in theory, yes. But there's a couple of aspects to this whole issue. You know, I don't think most practices right now already have a practice management system, okay, right? And so you know, if you're going to start using your inventory module better, or you're going to add the control drug module, or you're going to use something like AI, I mean, yes, that's going to increase efficiency, improve operations, but you're probably not going to be able to get rid of a technician or an assistant or a receptionist because you're doing that, right? I mean, I think, and in some ways, I think I think we're being forced to do more with less people simply because the hiring market is so terrible right yes. now. Yeah, I would and, agree. Yeah. And so what technology can do is just make that a little bit less painful because we can find some ways. So we used to have somebody do something manually. 
Now we can have technology do it. That just makes up for the fact that it's not as easy to go out and and hire somebody. And I mean, I think in the past, you know, we just haven't paid that much attention to productivity and efficiency because we didn't have to. If we needed more work yeah. done, we just hired more people, right? But that's yeah, that's an right. issue that's probably not changing for 10 years. So, right. True. Yeah. And, you know, I can attest to, I remember I worked at a, a, a very large, like 20,000 square foot practice. The, the footprint was large, big specialty practice, you know, almost 200 employees. It was huge. Yeah. And I had three full-time file clerks working for me when I was the front office manager. And all they did was ran around the practice looking for charts in different departments. And we had barcodes. So we would scan the medical records, scan it into surgery, scan it out of neurology, scan it back into the front desk, right? And we'd run around all over looking for charts. And I just remember thinking like, when we finally go paperless, I'm going to have three people that I can repurpose from file clerks to something else, right? Yes. That's that's getting us more efficient than with, you know, I also had two full-time transcriptionists that would uh, transcribe the doctor's surgeries from a old recorder. Yes. You know, now we have software for that, right? We don't have to have a transcriptionist. You know, we have Dragon, another software I'm talking to that will transcribe that for us, right? And so I could see that, oh my gosh, if I could just have three more staff members, right? And we're talking like, I don't even know. 15 years ago, 20 yeah, years yeah. ago, right? And how far, like, I don't see that as, you know, having fewer team members. I see that then as saying, okay, let's repurpose those team members then and utilize them to be doing something different, right? That's Client right. interface or patient care or, yeah, then, yes. then, then I mean, we're, since COVID, we've been drinking through a fire hose, That's you know, right. we have so much to do, right. like repurpose that labor somewhere else. So right. I do think, that with that increase in practice efficiency and integrating technology, even if it's these little baby steps, right? Utilizing email more instead of having somebody call that client and have a 10 minute back and forth conversation. That's something that a three minute email can, can that's handle, right. you know, like that's right. something yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. It's interesting. You say it that way, Andrea. And I think that's how I heard, you know, whether you agree with him or like him or not, but Elon Musk talk about this on the robotic side. And listen, he he's definitely out there, but he got posed this question about, you know, robotics and is it going to steal people's jobs, right? And it's the same idea from maybe the file clerk's perspective of, oh my God, you know, I don't want them to ever go to paperless records because I'm out of a job. And you're, you hit it on the head. There's always going to be jobs and there's going to be new jobs that open. So for example, when oh, you get yes. a, like a PIM system, guess what? You need a network administrator. You need a PIMS management person. You need like all of these people, right? That service this stuff. Same thing as what he said with robotics. He said, all of a sudden, once we go to robotics, there will be robotics maintenance technicians and, you know, all the jobs that kind of go with that. And so, you know, you might move from being the person who, you know, like, you know, drills the hole in the car to the person who's on the computer telling the robot to do the thing, right? So like, I don't personally fear technology. But it goes into my question for you, Karen, as a consultant and somebody who's worked obviously extensively with practices on finances and profitability and valuation and whatnot. But as you said, you also can kind of coach them on some marketing and some HR. You know, if you were working with a practice manager, pretty high level, either either owner or like right next to the owner, and they were talking about bringing in technology, you know, how would you kind of get them through the change management of what the technology can add, how to not fear it, and how to see kind of from the other side how useful it could be to them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Because I think sometimes 
people say they fear that they're going to lose their job, but what they really fear is their job's going to be different and they're going to have to learn to do other stuff and they're afraid they won't be able to do it or they won't like it. And the fear of change. The fear of the change. Word. Absolutely. So when you talk about how do you manage that whole process, I mean, I think some of it is actively involving the people in the practice. And so instead of just announcing one day that we're adding this piece of software, if you can involve people in identifying areas in the practice that are just a pain in the butt, and what are areas that if we could do it differently somehow, and whether that means technology or just changing our work processes, then life would be easier. And so you get people actively involved and excited about the fact that the practice could be different. And then technology is one piece of that. I think you have to be realistic in expectations. And that goes two ways. And I think AI is a really good example here. Sometimes, you know, you want to make sure that people are realistic about what technology can do. It can't solve every single problem, right? But also be realistic that, hey, this technology isn't going to take your job. I think the AI is a perfect example there. This is a tool to help you read radiographs better. This is not meant to replace you as a reader of of radiographs. And so setting those expectations with people, making sure they understand what's really going to happen, providing training is critical to this whole change process. Because if you just go, here's our new controlled drug software, have at it. I mean, people are clueless. They don't know what to do. And so we've got to provide the training so that people feel comfortable that they can now work with this. I think too, sometimes people on technology try to skimp by on investment. And so they buy, you know, the cheapest thing they can buy. I worked with a practice once who wanted to replace their software system with a cloud-based system. You know, they really didn't do a lot of research and they bought the cheapest thing they could find. And three months later, they're like, we hate this. This is terrible software. They had to go now and do the process right and do all of the research and spend a little bit more money. So I think those are all things that people have to look at. Because, you know, I think part of the problem, too, talking about this whole issue with change management is if you try to change something and it goes badly, that just sets up everybody to hate the next yes. effort at change. You're right. Right? Yeah. Permission to scream and kick and That's holler right. and throw That's tantrum. exactly yes. right. Because the last one didn't work, so nothing That's will ever right. work again, you know? That's right. So, Kara, because you're a veterinarian, and we touched on this a minute ago, so I want to circle back to it and make sure that we do address it. Because you're a veterinarian and you are submitting, let's say, as an example that we use these x-rays to AI and saying, hey, this is going to give me this, this AI is going to give me a diagnosis and help me with, you know, my patient care or whatever it is. So talk to me about how doctors that are worried about AI and how it's allowing a robot, if you are a artificial intelligence, to diagnose their patients. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Let's talk about that because I do feel that people struggle with that, that, you know, yeah, we're not replacing doctors, but I feel like a lot of new grads, especially who don't necessarily have a lot of clinical skills are very reliant on this. And some of the doctors that have loads and loads and loads of clinical experience, you know, they're, they send out diagnostics to just confirm their diagnosis, right? They already know it. So I think AI sometimes can 
the thought of it either will tell people like, oh, nope, I'm adverse to somebody else diagnosing my pet versus or their patient versus somebody that would say, oh, I totally need that help. But in an actuality, what does it really do? And is it doing that? Yeah, I think this is a great topic to talk about. The way that I see AI, AI is not diagnosing the pet, okay? The only person that can diagnose the pet is a veterinarian. I mean, just let's talk legally here. Now, that doesn't mean that AI might say, hey, here's some abnormalities that we see in these x-rays. Some of the things you might want to think about are A, B, C, D. So there's some differentials. But that's not diagnosing it. That's giving the veterinarian some information to think about, right? And that's, you know, to me, AI is no different than getting a CBC in chem. The CBC in chem is not diagnosing what's wrong with the pet. The CBC in chem is identifying some abnormalities, and then you as a veterinarian diagnose what you think is wrong. So you look at it and you say, okay, I think this pet has diabetes or it has kidney failure or it has whatever. But the CBC chem did not do that. It simply gave you information to do a better job at making that diagnosis. And that's the same thing, I think, about AI. But I think because we are adverse to change, and I don't think that's just veterinarians, right? I think that's everybody. You know, I think one of the first things that people start jumping to with AI is, and whether it's x-rays or pathology or other areas that it's used in, you know, they start jumping into this whole idea that it's going to replace veterinarians, but it's not. Legally, it can't. Yeah, no way, right. But but secondly, if you just think about it, it's a tool. It gives you more information to make a better decision. And something you said made me think too, you know, I think what we assume is we say, oh yeah, this is going to be more useful to younger veterinarians. You know, the AI will identify some abnormalities on the x-rays that the younger veterinarian didn't see. And, you know, older veterinarians or more experienced veterinarians is really what I should say, are going to use it just kind of as confirmation. But I think even more experienced veterinarians, you get so, it's easy to get complacent with x-rays. You know, you've looked at a zillion and you're like, "Ah, I know what I'm looking at. And this dog has ABC clinical signs. So I'm sure the x-ray is going to show X, Y, Z, right? But you know what? There's something there and it got missed, right? You know, the other thing too where AI in x-ray is so helpful is that, you know, reading x-rays is such a subjective thing. And I saw some really interesting articles in the human field that you could show a set of x-rays to a human radiologist and they go, blah, blah, I think this is what's wrong with the pet or here's the abnormalities that I see. And a week later, you show those same x-rays to the same radiologist and they have a totally different interpretation. Or you Isn't show, that crazy? That's crazy. Or you show the same wow. x-rays to six different board certified human radiologists and you get six different interpretations. Six different answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's just radiology is hard. And so... I think, again, it just comes back to the idea that AI is one more tool to help the veterinarian make a final decision about what they think is wrong with the pet. It's only the veterinarian that can make that decision and then say, okay, here's what I think is wrong with the pet, and then here's my recommendation for where we go next. Yeah, I like that you think of that as a as a tool because that's, I think it just goes back to, you know, being fearful of change and is it because the more experienced veterinarians are more 
technology adverse where some of the younger generation were born with a cell phone in their hand. And so they're just more, you know, not fearful of it and will embrace technology quicker. And so they're looking for tools left and right. And their tools are going to be organically a technology tool. Right. So I think some of that has to do with, you know, that type of thought process of just being fearful of change and, and it's a tool and that's exactly what it is. And that's how, you know, potentially a younger generation is going to see that as a tool and that technology. That's right. That's right. And I mean, honestly, I thought radiology was hard, you know, and I would have loved to have had AI when I was still practicing. Yeah, right. Exactly. But, you know, I think where veterinarians have to be careful with AI, too, is you do have to remember, I am still responsible for making the final determination about what I think I see in these x-rays, what do I think is wrong with this pet and what we need to do next. You know, I don't think you want to show up in front of your state board and go, well, AI said, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, that this is wrong with the pet. So I went with it because the state board is looking at you to make the diagnosis. You a person. Right. right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting situation. That would probably not be good. Karen, I'd like to wrap up and ask you a question about advice. If you could give one piece of advice to your younger self and to our listeners, what would that be? Oh, so, you know, this one, and of course, you have to be older before you start to realize this. Unfortunately, I wish we all realized this early on. But you know what? It's to live life the way that's important to you, because there is nothing you can do in your life that every single person will approve of. And if you spend your whole life trying to live it in a way that other people are going to approve of, you're going to end up being massively unhappy. And, you know, I'm fine with how I've lived my life, but I wish I'd thought about that and done some things differently a little bit earlier on. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, and that's what with age comes wisdom. Yes. Right? That's what. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, you know, you get all this wisdom and then like, you know, you're like, but what about the last 40 years when I could have used this? Right, right, exactly. So I can imagine have had many, many, many encounters where you're just floored at what's happened in the middle of a situation <laughs> where you're just like, no way, I cannot believe this shit just happened. You cannot make it up. Can you share a story with us? Oh, yeah. And so I'll, I'll do some financial examples here. So, you know, I periodically run across veterinarians who don't file tax returns. And I'm like, you don't file tax returns? Really? Really. And no. I'm like, yeah, this is beyond me, you know? And they're like, oh, no, I don't make enough money. I don't have to do this. And I'm like, I don't think the IRS sees it that way, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I don't no. think that's the way it works. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it works. And then I also, and this, I don't have personal knowledge of this, okay, but I heard it from another veterinarian about a veterinarian who would be diagnosing and prescribing treatment for pets from his sailboat in the Caribbean and the pet owners would bring the pets into the hospital and the technicians would take x-rays and blood work and whatever and talk to the veterinarian and the veterinarian never saw the pet and I was like wow "Wow." right oh Oh, wow I know I know. That's not not even, telemedicine at its finest. Yeah, not even telemedicine. <laughs> and this was a long time right. ago when telemedicine wasn't even a thing, you a know. Thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I can see how, you know, they're getting the blood work, they're getting the x-rays, but this went way beyond anything that most people would consider reasonable. Yeah, no, um, yeah sure. wow. 
So oh, man. Sometimes, no, it is. Oh, I had weird. a woman walk out of a seminar I did once. I was doing a seminar about using technicians more effectively and having technician appointments and stuff. And she, she was a technician and she was clearly doing a lot of stuff in her practice that were way beyond what the Practice Act would allow. Mm-hmm. And she walked out of my class. She didn't like what I had to say about keeping it <laughs> keeping it legal. You yeah. know, you can't please yeah. everybody, right? No, right. You exactly. Can't. You can't please everybody. No, no. Too funny. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Reading an x-ray on a kitten, and I felt like a complete and utter idiot, but at least the kitten was okay. Tell me about your proudest moment. When I stand up to somebody who's being a jerk to me. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? It's nice people, and I love the pets. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? Anything that's not work is decompressing. I work too much. How do you balance work and life, and do you experience any work guilt in that balance? The work never ends, right? And somewhere you just have to say no. What keeps you up at night, things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business? Being responsive to people and getting things done on time. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? But a fun project, something that's interesting. What color best represents you and your personality? I like green, so maybe green. And if you could be any animal in the world, what would you be and why? I would be any cat because I just love cats. Well, thank you, Karen, so much. Karen, if any of our listeners want to reach out for consultations or to talk more about AI, where can they reach you? So they can go to our website and the company name is pantherat.com and it's P-A-N-T-H-E-R-A-T. The easiest way to remember it is Pan the Rat, which was an unintended consequence of the company name. The company name is really... Um, short for Panthera tigris, which is the genus and species of tigers. Our website has contact information. You can email me at karen at pantherat.com as well. Awesome. Great. Thanks Thank you. Bye. I enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. 
and David signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree David Liss and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.